Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got John Hoyer, professional walleye tournament angler, back on the show. It's been a little while since we've had John on, so we're going to get a little bit of a, you know, kind of a fishing update from the last, uh, you know, couple of years, uh, some of the some of the memorable tournaments that John has had. We're going to recap some of that a little bit right away. And speaking of tournament updates, uh, this interview was just a couple of days ago, like a couple of days before the South Dakota Governor's Cup, which uh, uh, John uh, and his traveling partner, Dusty Mankey, another guy that we've had on the show uh, a handful of times, uh, they teamed up and uh, or partnered up to go down to South Dakota and fish the South Dakota Governor's Cup on Lake Oahe. Uh, that was just like a day or two after this interview. And they had, uh, I believe, a 13th place finish in a tournament field that's got to be around 200 boats. So pretty impressive there. Uh, but that being said, this interview and having John on had had a greater purpose uh, than just getting some some tournament conversation in. Of course, it's all uh, you know pretty entertaining. You get a chance to listen to John Hoyer talk about tournament fishing and some uh, you know some some fun fishing conversation about utilizing forward sonar. Of course, so many of John's successes and a lot of the popularity and attention he's getting in the industry it just has to do with his ability to uh, uh, utilize forward sonar and walleye fishing very very well. Uh, or just any kind of fishing. He's a multi-species guy. But, you know, as far as his ability to fish with forward sonar is so impressive and is on the cutting edge of the industry, so much so that uh, Berkeley, a company that sponsors him, a company that he works with, that develops baits and lures, uh, has John and Berkeley teamed up to launch the Power Switch. This is a soft bait, a casting bait designed specifically to be used in front of forward-facing sonar. And we're going to have sort of a big launching conversation in this. I mean, the, the bait itself has been released. The name of the bait and the design has been released. And there are there is some content out there. But as far as a, a conversation with John Hoyer, the man who developed this bait and designed this bait, you know, collaborated with Berkeley and getting the story, getting, you know, the passion behind building a bait like this from John and the stories and the experiences and the situations that John was specifically thinking about when they were developing this bait and and just just everything that went into influencing and what it really means to him uh, giving us that full the you know the the behind the scenes information of developing a bait like the power switch which in my mind is definitely going to be the type of bait that is uh, you know going to drive the industry it's going to set a new standard in the industry and it's definitely shows where the industry is headed that we are developing new baits that are designed for forward-facing sonar or just as a result of what we're learning from forward-facing sonar and how fish react in certain situations in certain times of year with certain patterns and just you know just seeing how fish react is definitely going to infiltrate how we fish and how we design baits i'm excited so anyways without further ado oh, let's get into it john hoyer the power switch let's do it summer is in full swing here in the midwest and the fishing season has been phenomenal especially here in the state of north dakota whether you're casting a line or just hanging out on the water to enjoy some r&r make sure that you your friends and your family are ready to have the best day on the water by always wearing a life jacket having all required safety gear available, and just as importantly, knowing how to responsibly handle your boat. Never boat under the influence. Always remember, boat safe, boat sober. For boating information and safety regulations, head to the North Dakota Game and Fish website. That's gf.nd.gov 
that's also where you're going to find all kinds of useful fishing information if you're planning to head to any of North Dakota's amazing fishing destinations. Once again, this JMO podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Get uh, sort of up to speed on things that you got going on here that uh, are just kind of fun that you want to update us on uh, right away. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when the last time we talked was, but I'm sure I've I definitely fished some tournaments since then. Oh, yeah. And may have added uh, a National Walleye Tour victory since then. Um, that was last September, uh, Lake Erie. And that was like my favorite moment in my fishing career, I think, because of the fact that I got to win it doing something that my friends and I invented on Lake Mullinax and having it work out on the Great Lakes in a tournament for three days straight was literally euphoric. So uh, that's probably the the brightest shining star. Um, And then this year, I've somehow randomly uh, had a fourth and a fifth place finish. And my partner, Dwayne Jellum, who you've had on your show, he uh, won the last event. So we're fishing good right now, and it's yeah, I mean, honestly, it's kind of carried through from last year, which was Dewey's first full year on tour. And the first full year I had him as a partner to practice and pre-fish with and, you know, dissect fisheries. And, I mean, so far, <laughs> it's, yeah, people keep talking about it as a role, and I'm kind of starting to realize that this might just be a, a standard thing when we get to team up. Oh, man, like... Yeah, like on the outside looking in, um, you know, n- nobody ever truly knows everything that's going on behind closed doors. But the momentum that you guys have, you know, together, your team, I mean, you know, a- a- and Dusty travels with you. I've had Dusty on before. Yeah. We're big fans. Like, yeah, it's been really, really cool to watch you guys on a roll and you're you're on that roll. So things are still going uh, good. And, and I feel like that, uh, that Lake Erie uh, story might come back again here a little bit later because i i kind of i feel like there might be a a few correlations in relations to what we're going to talk about in this but that's a good update i fish in the tournaments the success you've had congratulations on all the success by the way but you know what like i feel like we can jump right into this conversation i feel people up until now if they've clicked the link uh to listen to this they're gonna know just by the caption and the title you know, what this conversation is going to be about. And I think it's kind of an important industry conversation that we have on a podcast, uh, you know, just because when cool things, I guess in my mind, when really cool things that sort of drive the industry and push and set new, you know, standards and bars and concepts that that come to the industry that are just, you know, influential and important, um, you know, I feel like podcasting, like one of my favorite parts about it is that we can, you know, just talk for long enough to really depict some of these things and just talk about some of the story behind some of these things. And for you, having you on, uh, you work with Berkeley. You guys are launching a new bait. I mean, a lot of people are going to already be aware of its existence because a few things have come out, um, you know, like uh, you filmed the Next Bite episode. Uh, That's where I saw it first, you know, some social media stuff. But I want to have you on. I'm just going to cut you loose on this topic and go for a while, but I want you to introduce this new bait. You're working with Berkeley. I want to know the whole thing, the whole backstory behind it. 
you working with the company, what's the bait, the design, and all the fishy things about it. I want to know everything about this bait, so I'll let you start wherever you want to, but let's jump right in with this. Uh, the the Berkeley Power Switch, if I'm saying it right, go ahead. Yeah, the Berkeley Power Switch. Um, I guess I'll just start with the name. You know, it's kind of a really fun process where you start with this bait, uh, an idea, something that I want to use, the way that I use my electronics now, you know, especially forward-facing sonar. So you start with kind of a list of, you know, what do you want in a bait? What would the perfect bait look like? And you kind of start checking those boxes on the design, and then it's like, how are we going to get it to do this? There's that process. And then to jump all the way to the end, it's like, okay, what are we going to call this? So, um, you know, there's a number of names, and the working name was actually called The Answer, which was like really kind of cocky, but it's like, you know, why wouldn't that sell? It's just called the answer, like the answer to all your needs in fishing. Like this is the answer. So that was the fun working name in production of the lure. Um, and then when we, somebody finally, you know, it was a list of 10 and then what, which ones do you like? And then down to three, which ones do you like? And uh, when we found out, when we came up with a power switch, it really describes what we made in a bait and what how you would use the bait to catch fish which is literally kind of you know the ability to throw the bait out take the mood of a fish by getting it close to them in their you know in their zone and then you can do like seven different things with the bait so you know being able to flip the switch and turning this into something as erratic as you know a glide bait like a jigging wrap or a johnny darter you can literally flip that switch with a couple snaps of your rod and that fish that baby needed that aggressive move you know now it can be triggered so on the under on the other end of the spe- spectrum you can turn that switch off and you know almost fish it as slow as a Miki rig or even just you know scurry it along the bottom and let them pluck it off the bottom like a paddle tail presentation so um that's kind of the name or the story behind the the naming of the bait. One thing that I definitely want to cover in this is is kind of the like you're talking right now, just sort of like the working and sort of the the brain the brains behind the the thing, you know, building a bait like this. But I definitely want to early in this conversation sort of ask you about what it really meant to you. You know, like like how does this conversation start? Do you call uh, Berkeley, like a, a, a company that, uh, you know, a bait making company that you have, you know, relationship with, you you know, professionally fishing, you know, these like, do you bring a concept to them or do they come to you or is it kind of a mutual thing that sort of happens over time? Like, and, and emotionally, like, what does it mean to you looking back now, like, like at the beginning of this process, like, what was that really like for you personally? Yeah, so those are great questions. Um, you know, there's a number of us, and most of us are from the next bite. That, um, and then also like Mark Quartz. There's just I, I'm very flattered to be a part of this, you know, group that gets to use these baits. You know, these are in like pre-production process where they're not they're not what they call a field test sample where they'd send it out to the entire pro staff. You know, 30, 40 guys in the walleye world. Um, so there's a smaller group that, you know, really gives absolute black or white feedback. Like when you, you start in the tank at the, at Spear Lake, Iowa, 
you know, maybe Corey was helping with a bait design. So it's kind of hush-hush right away. But then in our annual meeting, you know, they're going to be like, hey, check this out, John. What do you think? Because they want all our opinions. And, you know, I can inject an opinion on it and stuff. So I, I've been a part of that in the past and got to see and use lures, some of them that didn't even make it to production, um, that were in that same process. So that initial phase of it, you know, being in Berkeley, meeting the guys, the masterminds behind it, Dan Spangler, Kyle Peterson, Aaron Wabra, um, you know, getting to meet them, know them personally, hang out and work on baits is like, that was the first thing that was really cool. Um, you know, that was probably like four years ago or five years ago. I first started having that privilege. Uh, and then two years ago is when they actually approached me and said that, you know, it, it's very evident that you're on the cutting edge of forward-facing sonar technology. We think there's an opportunity in the market for forward-facing sonar-specific baits, and we would like you to consult on a bait of your choice. So um, I'll be honest, like, that phone call, my whole, like, walleye career is kind of blurry to me, and it's, it is reality, but... You know, I don't, I don't really, I don't get the goosebumps and stuff until somebody kind of slaps you in the face, like, holy cow, John, you're working on a bait with Berkeley? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's part of my job. And it doesn't really occur to me until I have those outside influences like family and friends and fishing friends that are like, you know, gaga over it. And then that snaps me back to reality, like, oh, yeah, this is like my dream. And I, I'm living my dream. And it just doesn't really occur to me in the moment usually because it's just, you know, it's just another thing in my fishing career. So, um, yeah, like I'm obviously smiling right now as I'm saying that. And it, it, it was just this amazing honor. Like, holy cow, I'm going to have a bait. Then you're going to write pro design by John Hoyer. Like how did I trick those guys into thinking I'm a pro? <laughs> yeah. I mean, your name is on the packaging of this. I mean, if you're buying, yeah. you know, at the end of this conversation, you know, hopefully people are very interested in checking it out and, you know, figuring out what, you know, how they can fit it into their arsenal. And if you're buying something that doesn't say John Hoyer on it, you're buying the wrong bait. So yeah, that is like a very <laughs> good point to all this. And yeah, I just feel like, uh, you know, I really like, I really like, you know, hearing you say that with a smile on your face, because I feel like that's important too. like when you educate people on a bait, you know, just educating them also on the passion that went into it. And just somebody that's put a lot of their self, you know, into it, I think is a big part of it as well. You know, when you're, when we're buying baits that we can't even, maybe we don't remember or pronounce the name or whatever, we bought it because of the color of this or whatever, but having that education and knowing the intentions behind a bait and also just the passion and everything that went into it, that's a big deal. I feel like, you know, we, we spend our hard earned dollars on it. So yeah, like that, I'm glad you were able to kind of depict that, but you know, kind of keeping that vibe and moving into the bait, you know, talk about those early stages, like at, after that phone call, after you hung up that phone call, what was rolling through your head for the next couple of hours? Yeah. So, um, you know, I started thinking of, I, you know, I, I'm always coming up with ideas and what ifs in my mind. Like, um, and one of the major things that I always thought about was what if we had a glide bait that was bigger? Cause it's, I don't know if it's the musky fisherman me or not, but I've always, it's always entertaining to see how big of a bait 
you know, a muskie will bite. And when you're reeling up walleyes, um, you know, like say on Lake Oahe or Lake of the Woods or anywhere where there's like Cisco's, you know, a dozen times in my life, I've seen a 14 or 15 inch Cisco, 16 inch Cisco sticking out of the throat, the tail out of the throat of a 30 or 28 inch walleye, even, even a 27 inch walleye. Um, so, you know, I've always wanted to push that envelope and, and see like, you know, I've trolled musky baits for walleyes. Um, you know, a perfect 10, a Smithwick perfect 10 is a big long bait that muskies love on, or walleyes love on the Great Lakes. So that was one of the major things that I wanted to try to do was to make a bigger glide bait. And obviously if you made, uh, say, a jig wrap five inches long, it would weigh like, uh, I don't know, four ounces or something. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a monster. So I, I, yeah, I knew that wasn't the answer, but, um, you know, okay, how else can we accomplish that? So that was kind of the original idea, a soft bait that has all the action of a Johnny Darter, uh, Hyper Rattle, a Jig Rap, you name it. And the other major thing was, you know, so the Snap Jig from Berkeley, where you add a piece of plastic to, it's like one of my favorite lures of all time. Corey Sprangle helped design that. It was something that I had thought of in my head like a while back, and then lo and behold, you know, it's a, it's an option here. And I've caught a lot of big walleyes on that lure. So, but what I've realized now with forward-facing sonar is, like, how good and how picky these walleyes are, you know, where before I really didn't think color mattered, but now I can watch them and watch just their, you know, maybe they're 30% more aggressive on a certain color at a certain time of day. So it's like, I kind of took it for granted how good of eyesight walleyes had and how picky they were. But I realized that, you know, that smack snap jig with a plastic behind it is still like a nice big, you know, a big jig with a plastic. So like, what if we were able to make a bait that looked perfect and, you know, the technology that Berkeley started incorporating in their baits with the HD printed designs, you know, those really good facial features, you know, that's something that would give me, the most confidence I could possibly have in a lure right off the bat is when you see that nice big eye, um, you see that gill plate, you see all that stuff that, you know, high end bass swim baits have. Um, Cause you know, on average clear water is when a glide bait excels. It moves fast. It gets their attention and it challenges them. And then can you close the deal? So, those were some of the original ideas. And the funny part was when Dan Spangler came in and talked to Kyle and I, he's like, okay, well here, I think that this could, you know, give you what you're thinking of. So we worked from there. He already had like a jig that had the proper hook hanger that allowed that bait to, you know, pivot and glide. And Kyle drew up the plastic design. He did the amazing design. He's like an artist of the, eye, the face, the lip, the gill, and then the tail was uh, a functional tail, which is this little kind of opposite of a fluke that stands straight up and down. This one's turned on its side, and it allows the tail to move, to wiggle, um, and then also acts as a rudder to, you know, like a glide bait, acts as that rudder to have the bait go back and forth and dart around. So, um now we put the bait in the water, the working samples in the tank, and I started working it, you know, seven different ways I'd work a glide bait. But 
then also it was like, what if we reeled it in like a hair jig on the Great Lakes? And what if we did this? And look at what this does uh, just vertical in an ice fishing situation. So some of the things were serendipity. One of them was uh, the vibration when you just rip it, not, you know, slack and pop it and walk it around, but just one hard rip or a hard pull, um, the bait literally vibrates like a blade bait. So, you know, I'll admit a few of the things, the attributes of this lure were serendipity just to the, the design and like the aerodynamics of the bait. So it was really fun when we first started, you know, doing all these different things and the excitement level from everybody just started growing. And it was like, wow, this thing is like way more than what we originally thought. You know, you could use this thing in 40 degree water and just scurry it on the bottom and just kind of meander it and swim it. And it moves constantly and it's subtle. It's like a fluke in a jig head, but it's also like the most erratic glide bait ever. And it also vibrates like a blade bait and you can just um, swim it along and it literally rolls like a, a shallow running crankbait. So yeah, um, the excitement levels rose to the point where it's like, this might be one of the most noteworthy soft bait releases of all time. It's kind of, vibe summer is in full swing here in the midwest and the fishing season has been phenomenal especially here in the state of north dakota whether you're casting a line or just hanging out on the water to enjoy some r&r make sure that you your friends and your family are ready to have the best day on the water by always wearing a life jacket having all required safety gear available and just as importantly knowing how to responsibly handle your boat Never boat under the influence. Always remember, boat safe, boat sober. For boating information and safety regulations, head to the North Dakota Game and Fish website. That's gf.nd.gov. That's also where you're going to find all kinds of useful fishing information if you're planning to head to any of North Dakota's amazing fishing destinations. Once again, this JMO podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Oh yeah, I agree. And you know, you're you're already mentioning some things that I really want this direct, you know, the direction of this to go. As this was moving along, were you already thinking during the early design stages, like right away, were you thinking about situations you needed a new bait, to, you know, to to use in? No, I definitely, you know, that primary situation was you know, deeper suspended walleyes. And, you know, my original idea started with like that four inch size. Um, you know, we knew we wanted some different sizes too. And the one thing I was adamant about was having the same fall rate for each length of bait. So um, it goes from a two, two inch like crappie killer uh, works per, works for perch ice fishing also. You know, you picture those small little glide baits. Um, and then it goes all the way up to a five-inch bait. So my original, you know, notion was up in that four to five-inch range. And, yes, 100%. So, like, you know, a lot of walleyes will end up in 30 to even 35 feet of water in the summertime. And, you know, whether they're suspended on the Missouri River system or they're, you know, on Lake Mo- Lake Malax, Lake of the Woods, the Great Lakes, um, you know, there's that need for a bigger bait, the size of the crankbaits we troll, to use in a casting scenario. So that was the original, you know, 
purpose in my mind. But as we built in all these smaller sizes too, you know, now it's kind of cool. Like I think of a perch, right? And what a perch starts at at the beginning of the year and what it ends up at the end of the year, it actually follows like the exact progression of the lengths of these baits. And the cool part is the lengths of the bait, you know, if you start in the walleye size, I'm thinking like the two and three quarters and the three and a half or, well, I think I'm getting the sizes mixed up. Sorry. (laughs) Two and three quarters, three and a quarter or three and a half, four and a quarter, then five. But like, as those baits progress, so does the standard depth range that walleyes live in throughout the summer. And also, so does the average size of forage, you know, as you go from May all the way to August, the time that we do most of our walleye fishing or even October, you know, it's basically growing with the standard bait fish size too. So um, I think, I'm not saying that was serendipity, but when I looked at the big picture and realized like how these fish eat these baits, throughout the year as you get bigger and bigger and bigger um, and they have it in the back of their throat, it's like, yeah, they're keying in on that profile too. And I think we accidentally nailed that also. So kind of started my life like, oh, hey, whether that was my chance or not, it worked out perfectly. Yeah, but you got to be out there doing it too, right? Like we, you, sometimes you're just, people call you like a really, really lucky person, but like people that just are always getting lucky, there's always something to it, right? Like they're just out there a lot and they're doing it and they're giving their self a chance to get lucky a lot. So I don't know, at what point in time does it, is it not so much luck anymore? And it's just, you know, you put in a lot of hard work and then you just, you figured a light bulb went off and you figured something out. It's like, I, th- I feel like people can get credit for that too, because you just got to be yeah. out there a lot, you know? Um, I, I like the default to like, these are the blessings in my life, the doors that have been opened, the connections I've made, the successes I've had in my dream career uh, are really, truly blessings. But you're right. Uh, the realist on me is like the 10,000 hour rule. Okay. How about the 50,000 hour rule? You know, how good are you going to be at fishing? Well, anybody would be way above average at fishing if they spent that much time at fishing. It's just simple math, you know. So you're 100% spot on. Like, that stuff doesn't happen by chance to people that are successful in the hunting industry, the fishing industry, whatever. Like, the work ethic is so important. Yeah, and I feel like, you know... uh you know, and maybe you could speak to this too, but like, you know, the, you know, Berkeley has come out with so many really influential baits, like, you know, so definitely it's not to be, you know, forgotten or taken for granted that, you know, you're working with like really good individuals. And that kind of ties back to, you know, me as a consumer, like, man, I just think, you know, I just have a ton of respect for somebody like you, you know, you know, out there doing it a lot and earning your shot to really influence a bait and develop a bait and consult on a bait. But I mean, for you, you know, if you were going to do that for a lot of companies, Berkeley would have to be way up there, huh? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dan Spangler is like, you know, in my mind, the best hard bait design person in the world. Like he is so passionate about it. The guy fishes an amazing amount he understands fish so much so he he starts with having the knowledge of triggering fish and you know what it takes and the the crankbait science that these guys incorporate in crankbait design is a whole different conversation it's it's so next level um and then kyle peterson who's been working there for i think four or five years now 
is like the soft bait version of Dan Spangler. And those two guys, when they start talking, it is so fun to listen to them because they've already talked to all the most successful bass guys. They have catfish guys they talk to. They have pro staffers that fish for salmon, pike, muskies, walleyes, uh, panfish, you name it. Like, so they know everything from all their top pro staffers and they incorporate that into bait designs and then throw the whole like science into it with actual real testing on fish and all that stuff. And it's like, it's just a recipe for success. And those guys have that work ethic. They literally eat, sleep and drink lure design. And it's, yeah, it's very relevant relative when you, you know, see the products that they're putting out. So Yep. Yeah, it's not by chance for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I tell you what, man, I want to ask you some like, you know, situational fishing questions. I really want to like, you know, paint a really detailed picture or a couple of them, uh, you know, from your side of things, from your perspective on this bait, including, you know, any of the any of the features of this bait, like, you know, like, like, what are some uh, just in your mind, some perfect situations that when people are, you know, looking at this bait for the first time, when it and it comes on the shelves here uh, in the near future, and people are, uh, you know, people are looking at it, people are studying it, they're hearing more about it. There's going to, I imagine, be, you know, a whole bunch of content out there when they listen to this show, um, you know, like what situations really paint the picture of the purpose and the design and the passion behind building this specific bait? Yeah, uh, also a good question. So the I'll, I'll talk with some of my successes on it. So, you know, now that we are able to observe what schools of walleyes look like, like let's just take Minnesota, for example. So Leech Lake, Mille Lacs, Winnebagosh, you name it, any northern Minnesota lake. Um, you know, fish are done spawning. It's getting to be mid to late May. And those schools of fish that we used to see on our side scan that were like, you know, 10 to 30 packs of walleyes, you know, perfect eaters. Um, you know, now we get to look at them in a row on our forward facing sonar. So um, some of the interesting observations I've made is, you know, how often fish are more like five feet off the bottom and 12 feet of water than they are on the bottom. Um, so you'll see these packs of walleyes on these sand flats, let's say in Sucker Bay. And, you know, a lot of times in the, you know, recent past, you could roll up on them. You could initially throw a jig and a shiner on them. You could throw a little white plastic on them. Um, you could throw a slip bobber and a leech, you know, and, but now it's post spawn and they're starting to like get a little tuned up and yeah, you're still going to catch them on a leash because they're going to look at it for so long, but it's like my favorite time of year when you can start doing stuff more aggressive and have success. So, you know, one of the best ways to use the bait is to really use the side to side action and the darting action of the bait. So when you use a three inch size, which is like the perfect morsel for, you know, a 16 to 22 inch walleye, um, you throw it right over the top of that, say, 10-pack of walleyes that's suspended. And I like to get it on the back end of the school, come over the school, you know, a couple, two, three feet above them, and just twitch it back and forth and just walk it around. So, like, dunk, 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 like three times. And all I'm waiting for is for, like, one or two or three or even all of those fish to 
um, to notice the bait and to move up on it. So then it's decision time. And it's usually just one of two things. It's literally like either keep popping it above them and maybe even pop it up one higher the second that fish comes up. You know, I instantly go back to all the encounters I've had on a car ice fishing. Like, oh, you saw me? I'm going to get away. So maybe another pop up. And then as a fish closes in, the nice thing about this bait is you can literally just pop it once and hold it. And the thing, like, the, the walleye has already been triggered, and it's, it's coming up, and it wants to eat it. And it, the, with the right timing, you just spotlight it, and you make it easy for them. So that's a lot of bites that I've had. So just the trigger, 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 hey, what's up? Now the fish moves on it, and I either hold it above them, or the other one that works the best is literally like, now I'm going to dive down to the bottom because I'm getting chased. And you can let it free fall down, which it'll meander down, or you can like tight line it down. And now you're in a situation, you know, in my mind, when you're snap jigging a shiner periodically, snap, and now the bait's falling down to the bottom. Wow, this is really easy. I'm just going to eat you. So um, that's like almost one of my favorite ways to work the bait. And it's that time of year with that size. So, um, you know, the other scenario is when you see those big schools of walleyes, big schools of walleyes, it's what I've learned now is like the bigger fish, the 25 to 28 inch fish are always going to be kind of solitary that time of year. And I think, you know, you know, Lake Erie is a classic case. You're never going to catch 28 inches right in the middle of a pod of like 25 to 27 inches. They're always just kind of off on their own. Your catch rate isn't going to be like four on at a time because those fish have learned that they don't want to compete with those, you know, assassins that are in these schools. So those schools of like 18 to 21 inches, for instance, you're never just going to see it. You'll never, ever see a 28 incher swimming right in the middle of that school. So the other side of the coin is now I'm looking for a single bigger fish. Yeah, a lot of times they share the same areas, but they're just single fish by themselves. And uh, getting in that ice fishing scenario again, taking the time, making the perfect cast, getting it so close to that fish that its instinct takes over, and it literally is like, whoa, free food falling down from the heavens? Wow, I can, uh, yeah, I am actually hungry, thank you. And, you know, you get into this chase scenario where you have the ability to do a number of different things and it might be the you know quick twitch above it really hard snap and the thing just rockets up and eats it or it could just be oh you're not that active well i'm gonna meander back and forth in front of you and i'm gonna go down to the bottom now and i'm gonna come off the bottom and then i'm gonna go back down to the bottom now i'm gonna scurry on the bottom and it's so fun to watch those fish just you know not confused but literally kind of taking it as a challenge, watching their mood, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, basically lose their inhibitions, and, okay, I have to eat that thing. So, um, yeah, those are, like, two of the ways that I use it a lot is, is those two scenarios. Right on, man. <clears throat> right on, man. And, like, looking back on before this bait, right, like, like, like the experiences that you had that sort of – you know, gave you the perspective and the, the, the experience and the wisdom to be the guy chosen, uh, you know, by Berkeley to be the pro designer and have your name on the package. Like look back at some of your successes, or could you look back on some of your successes where you didn't have this specific bait and like, 
you know, where you realize like, you know, it, it's a success and something you look back on as a success, but like you still sort of were able to identify a couple of key things that were, that you still needed in your arsenal that are now this bait, this power switch. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, I guess to reiterate, a lot of that is, um, is my visual picture of how walleyes follow baits just like muskies. Um, you know, musky fishing for 18 years or whatever, 15 years guiding musky fishing all the time, you know, looking at these top of the food chain predators and how they're, you know, skeptics. They're almost always skeptical unless they're really biting, but that's why they follow your bait to the boat. That's why now you have the opportunity to convert just a following fish, which you might see every day, into a biting fish um, by how you do your figure eight and how you change speeds and how, you know, you can make their instinct kick in. So there was like a turning point when actually Corey Sprangle showed me some uh, water wolf footage of him pulling spinners on the Great Lakes. And in my mind, it was like Corey Sprangle pulling a spinner over a hump on Green Bay my picture in my mind would be he would resemble vac vacuuming up sawdust in a carpenter's workshop. Like I thought he caught every walleye. Yeah. But he showed me ten videos of a walleye behind a spinner, his favorite color, whatever, nightcrawler. And out of those ten fish that came up to that bait, only two or three of them actually bit the spinner. And that was a huge turning point in my walleye understanding when I realized how much walleyes follow baits. So I would go into musky fishing mode from that, that point forward and just picture a fish following a bait where if I'm doing the same thing all the way back on a cast, what are the reasons why I didn't get bit? And then what are the reasons why I didn't get bit if a fish is following? I know there's 30 walleyes out there. They're, they're definitely following my lure. You know, what do I have to change? And more often than not, if I just added some nuances to my cast where I'm not just pumping my glide bait all the way back to the boat hard and letting it hit bottom, if now I throw a couple twitches in, uh, a spot where I'm holding my rod tip high and letting it fall down slowly, that's when I started having successes in catching way more fish casting. It's like, bingo, this is key. Um, so... In that same time, that's where my mind started progressing to like, okay, now what else would make this even better? And yeah, lo and behold, that was one of the major things that I wanted for sure was, like I said, that bigger size, that better print job, the movement of the soft plastic on the tail, you know, all those little things that I thought for sure would get me more bites. I think of like where you're sitting right now and you're my favorite walleye lake in the world, Devil's Lake, but when I used to cast there in May, I'd always be in like Pelican Lake casting crankbaits. And we'd throw either a number five shad wrap or a number seven shad wrap. And my only rule in the boat was like, if we started out on a spot and you couldn't hit bottom with your crankbait, you would start with a number seven as you drifted up and got shallower and shallower, or maybe you're on a road bed. The guy who was casting the ditch of the road bed that at that angle as we're drifting would throw a number seven and the guys that were casting up on top would throw a number five so like reeling in a crankbait crankbait fishing 101 is you have to hit bottom and that is the trigger like you're not you're only going to get 20 percent of the bites 
if you're not hitting bottom and you're just straight retrieving a crankbait. So it's like, I realize that the size of the crankbait doesn't matter at all. Yeah, it'd be nice to have this little small one. I know they really like it, but the number seven is fine as long as I can make bottom contact a little bit. And I should have known then that it's simply because the walleye is literally following it the entire cast. And when I get down to the midpoint of my cast at max depth and I start making bottom contact, or hit off a tree or something, that's when you get bit every time. But, uh, you know, another clue of, you know, that whole scenario, what's happening all the time when you're casting for walleyes. You know, forward sonar is just like the biggest conversation in fishing right now, you know, especially here in the Midwest, walleye fishing like everywhere. Like forward sonar is like the biggest conversation to have. And one thing, one point that I make a lot in my interviews that I'm when we're talking about forward sonar and this is just real life for me. Um, in fact, actually, probably the most influential forward sonar story I have it was actually on Leech Lake with Dusty. We were filming a couple of years ago. But anyways, all that is to say, like, even without forward sonar, we're learning so much. You know, we're learning so much from it. Guys like yourself, you know, the education that's out there. You know, we're, we're learning so much like that, like those personal experiences now that forward sonar shows us that these fish are tracking our baits and like, you, you know, just the whole story that you just told and the more learning even. So now, even if you don't have forward sonar, that's still like such a huge key to be considering all the time. Even if you don't have it, even if you aren't out there now, you know, watching it, um, you know, but it's super, super, uh, you know, that education I think is still just like making a huge impact on it. So like forward sonar until everybody has it, I still feel like it's making a bigger, you know, contribution or impact than, um, you know, than even the amount of people that have it. And I feel like, you know, like you designed this power switch bait, like I'm already thinking, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that'll use it that don't, have forward sonar but they're still going to catch a lot of fish even just from like this conversation you depicting what it does and what it's meant for and the situations it's going to be in and what its capabilities are I mean sure you know somebody like yourself is like is going to use it you know looking at fish every time whenever possible but and there's gonna be a lot of people you know people use glide baits you know without forward sonar I mean there's gonna be a lot of fish caught you know just because of conversations like this where you could really educate people on what it's supposed to do and what it can do and the situations that it can be in and uh you know stuff like this with this much thought behind it this much science behind it is uh you know if you just go out there with good intentions it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a big piece of a lot of people's arsenal so you know, we're definitely, we're, I got one more th- topic to bring up with you, but before we leave this power switch conversation, how should we wrap this up? How should we, how should we put a bow on this conversation, this sort of the, the launch of the power switch, um, you know, including when is it going to be launched and when can people start looking for it in stores and that whole bit? Yeah, I think um, you brought up another great point about, you know, just standard blind casting of the slur. So, um, you know, Corey Sprague said it one time to me, and it makes all the sense in the world. It's something that you do with a musky bait. You put it in the water, you pop it around, you reel it fast, you look at it, and it's like, okay, I understand what this lure does. Um, you know, anytime you're in gin clear water and you have a new lure, like a shiver minnow, for the first time I threw it on Green Bay, and I worked it like I saw on TV from the next bite, 
and I went up into like 10 foot visibility water and it was like, holy cow, how that is impressive that a walleye could catch that lure doing what I've been doing the last four hours. And I've already caught three walleyes, but look how fast this thing's moving. It's literally crashing, dive bombing to the bottom. And like, I think that's too aggressive. I think that's cutting into my catch rate. Uh, what if I started doing this a little bit or a little softer or just walking it or holding it to bottom a couple times a cast? So the be all end all is anytime you have a lure and you have the ability in really clear water is, you know, do some different things with your rod tip. Try that hard pull that I'm talking about. Watch that bait shimmy and vibrate up like a blade bait. Now try your rod tip at a 45 and just turn the reel handle and bob your rod up and down like a little sewing machine and watch how that bait meanders. Now do it in little pops where it's pop slack, pop slack, pop, 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 and you can get the bait to dart and walk. Um, you know, now let it hit bottom and just reel it along the bottom like five quick reels and just hold your rod tip and face it. So that understanding of the lure is what makes a person successful. And especially if you have that picture in your head of a walleye following every cast. So um, I highly recommend, you know, using this lure. Is it a crankbait that you throw out and you just cast and hit bottom with? No, this is a very versatile lure and as soon as you start unlocking those nice little like cadences and moves for yourself you know you can take forward facing sonar out of the equation if you just throw it into a school of walleyes and you know you'll end up learning the lure having the confidence but that's the best way to fast track all that is watch what it does with each one of your rod tip movements in some nice clear shallow water and then it's going to be available to the public. I've already seen the packaging and stuff for the power switch, but it'll be available to the public in late August or like the first week or two of September. So if we keep going any longer on this, it's going to turn into like a two part series. So I'm yeah, going to, yeah. and, and, and you know what, we're going to have to come back on this after this bait launches. Uh, and, and I get a bunch of feedback on this. I'm looking forward to that, but like, I'll definitely be hitting you up, uh, you know, and, and we'll do something else. We'll, uh, down the road and we'll get a cool update on how this is all going, uh, with the bait and the launch of the bait and everything. But that being said, we got to draw the line somewhere, so I do want to wrap up. Uh, we've got plenty of time for this, but I want to I want to come in and ask you now, uh, uh, totally changing gears here, about the YouTube series that you're involved in, uh, Tour Level Gold. Uh, give me sort of your side of the story on this. Um, and uh, sort of, you know, introducing it. It's it's been mentioned multiple times on this show already. You know, just uh, I've, I've definitely tried to push people into watching it for the reasons that I think it's really cool. Um, but having you on, man, like, uh, talk to me about being involved in it and what it is, uh, in your mind, uh, you know, uh, when you're on the show and everything, like give us the whole tour level gold spiel. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend it. And I'm not just saying that, but it is full credit to uh, more media company and their employees and, Man, those guys are so talented. And the way it started was, um, was you know, basically as a pilot at our first event. And uh, Josh Clymer from Aquatraction was the person who, you know, got behind filming that first episode with Max and telling the story about his beloved friend, Mike Hansen. Uh, and then, you know, including Dwayne and I. And what it started off as, 
was, you know, a behind the scenes, um, you know, look into what it takes to fish on the National Wildlife Tour and what we go through on a day-to-day basis. And the first two episodes of Spring Valley were the brutal reality of what tournament fishing is, like freezing conditions, breaking stuff because it was so cold, but you have to go out because the other people are pre-fishing too. You know, we're fishing for $100,000. This is part of your job. Like, you are going out no matter what. Uh, it ended up being like a fairy tale story where Max's partner, who was Mike Hansen's tournament partner, won the tournament, borrowing Max's boat. I was leading after day one somehow, thanks to a miracle five-pounder bite. And uh, Dewey, Dwayne Jell, my partner, ends up taking second place in the tournament. So... Uh, as a pilot, it was like, you couldn't even script this, but the real, yeah, it was amazing. Um, but the real like meat potatoes of that production is how the guys shoot it and the editing of it. And it is so fun to watch. Um, you know, I get goosebumps because it's, um, it's telling a really cool story and I think it's entertaining and, and, and what people want to see just because you don't get that look behind the scenes. Um, but a lot of it is like the shots and the drone footage and then how he picks out of like 200 hours of footage, puts out the funniest comments that Max says, or I say to Dewey or whatever. And it's, it's a straight up like Netflix quality production. So, um, we did two episodes per tournament. First one's pre-fish, second one's a tournament, the results, and we, the there's currently four episodes out. We shot the third one at Francis Case. I'm not going to spoil that if you don't know what went down. But uh, really amazing footage, you know, from boat to boat fish catches. And uh, I can't, like, I can't wait to see the first cut of the Francis Case episode. And then I can't wait for it to be released when my phone starts blowing up and people are just like, oh, my gosh, it just keeps getting better. Yeah. So, uh, just a really fun project. Like I'm a huge fan of all you guys. And, and I actually did a, I actually had Owen Wilcox on. He's a super entertaining young man with all kinds of yeah. promise and potential. He's a cool dude. And like, yeah. So like all you guys, it's just one after another, but I feel like too, like, you know, I hope that the industry sees this or other anglers, like, you know, other anglers could do this. They would probably do it in a different way or they, you know, like could be slightly different. But the personal stories are really, really cool. And, you know, there's a lot of professional anglers on that on the NWT that, you know, I think this is something that will kind of is, again, going to sort of set a bit of a bar in the industry for the type of content that we as consumers, we as you know, the people that are looking and the fans like we definitely want more stuff like this. And so you guys are going to have to keep doing that. And then hopefully a few other ones pop up. Honestly, I think that would just be super great because the storylines are just, I just love the storylines. They're just, it's, it's epic. It sort of dramatizes itself. You guys just got to go fish and the storylines just carry like it's a, it's pretty awesome. But anyways, they, they do. And uh, we're actually super excited to, you know, start introducing other characters into the show and telling their story. And it, it's really kind of an endless uh, amount of, of footage that we can capture, you know, going forward into year two and three and four and five. So uh, that's a nice thing because, you know, in reality, 
obviously walleye tournaments aren't ever going to get mundane because they're always different. There's always different weather. It's never the same way. It's one each time, you know, so that'll always be entertaining. But when you start adding in the stories of like, you know, say Gary Parsons even, or another new guy, Dylan Nussbaum, you know, other people from different walks of life, different career paths, how they got there, what job they quit to make it happen. And then how they're also living their dream fishing the national walleye tour so oh yeah uh, it'll be really fun to start adding in all these other characters that we you know know and love on the tour but other people you know don't know their actual personalities that dude like we can wrap this up i love it i love the conversation uh you know the update from you and just sort of hearing you know some of the uh the great experiences and, you know, some of the, the, the emotional uh, experiences that you've had in fishing in the last couple of years and getting that update from you because, you know, I just like hearing that stuff and it, and just kind of the things that keep you going and motivate you and, and make you tick uh, is, you know, the stuff that we're trying to tap into and this whole conversation and introduction uh, of the power switch. Um, you know, I mean, it's been introduced on other platforms and other places, you know, like this may or may not be the very first place where people, people hear the name you know the berkeley power switch but uh regardless of that fact i think this is a great conversation that i was hoping to have and uh you know just introducing it and just sort of the the beginnings of it and what it means to you to build it up and just educating people on the science that went into it and the situational fishing that you know ultimately it's pretty much designed for but you know we all know that's going to grow and expand and you kind of mentioned that it's a you know even some of the smaller baits being crappie killers that's one thing we didn't even go down the rabbit hole of like multi-species i guess we're probably just not there yet like the bait needs to come out and go out for a couple of years for people to catch but i feel like it's just going to catch whatever fish you know you cast it at uh but that being said getting a little uh, a chance to hear your side of the story on tour level gold i think this has been a great update from you john i appreciate you having the time introducing the power switch uh, uh, very uh, uh definitely the message that i wanted to get across in this so you know outside of that we can wrap this up man i can let you go you're probably headed down the road to you know go fishing somewhere whatever it is i, didn't, I haven't even asked you about that yet we can wrap this up for real this time unless there's something else you can think of no, but to answer that, I am on the, my beautiful, one of my favorite roads headed to Lake Oahe. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, very excited. And I have a whole bunch of power switches in my tackle box, and there's no other angler in the South Dakota Gulf Cup coming up next Saturday that's going to have them. So that's kind of nice. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's only going to last you so long, though, because by next year there's going to be a lot of them in a lot of tackle boxes. The time is now. <laughs> the time is now for <laughs> sure. So anyways, all right, I'll let you back to it, John. Thank you so much for the time. Keep grinding. I'll let you go, man. Thanks, buddy. Good talking to you. All right, later. See ya. Summer is in full swing here in the Midwest, and the fishing season has been phenomenal, especially here in the state of North Dakota. Whether you're casting a line or just hanging out on the water to enjoy some R&R, Make sure that you, your friends, and your family are ready to have the best day on the water by always wearing a life jacket, having all required safety gear available, and just as importantly, knowing how to responsibly handle your boat. Never boat under the influence. Always remember, boat safe, boat sober. For boating information and safety regulations, head to the North Dakota Game and Fish website. That's gf.nd.gov. That's also where you're going to find all kinds of useful fishing information, 
if you're planning to head to any of North Dakota's amazing fishing destinations. Once again, this JMO podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish Department.